0: You would, if you have your Bibles, or if you have it on your phone, uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter one. If you have U version, you can go to the events and you can find Provision Church in the events in U version and follow along there. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, some of y'all are shaking your heads because you've heard that. <laughs> You know that, (laughs) you know, you've heard your parents, your mom, your dad say that to you. I'm not angry. I'm just, just disappointed. It's like parents know that that's, that's a, a, a thing. Like parents know that when they say that, how they're getting at it. If you haven't heard someone say this to you, you've probably been the person who said it. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. It's such a classic parent statement and I get it. Because that's a real emotion. I mean, it's, it is real. It's, it's a real thing to feel. Like I'm not angry, just disappointed conveys sometimes the exhaustion of a situation. Like, I don't even know how to feel anymore. I'm just, maybe disappointment is the best way to feel it. I'm past the anger part of it. I've already felt angry all I can feel angry. Now it's just disappointment. <laughs> I don't even know how to be angry about this anymore. <laughs> But it could also convey peacemaking. Like, okay, I, I'm done being angry. I still feel disappointment, but I, I, let's let's come to a, a resolution. Let's figure this out. I'm, I'm not upset with you. I don't want to punish you. I just, I just I just feel sad that you made a bad decision. So there's some different emotions there that that it encompasses. And I think as we look at Galatians today, Paul is taking a similar tone with the congregation he's writing to. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Paul says, in fact, that he's astonished or that he's surprised by them. I'm not angry. I'm just just surprised. I'm just astonished. I didn't think this would happen. In this text, we're going to find a church turning to a distorted gospel, turning to a perverted gospel. It might be easy to think that's because they weren't as educated as you and me. It might be easy to think that's because... They didn't have all of the uh, benefits of two thousand years of history, like you and I. You might think they weren't—they just weren't as faithful as we were. That's that's why Paul is astonished at their distorted gospel. And I think if you if you think that if you think that you're thinking wrong, <laughs> if you're thinking that you're thinking is wrong, falling for a false gospel is as prevalent today and maybe even more prevalent today than it was in 50 AD when Paul was writing this letter to the church in West Asia. Could you fall for a false gospel? I think if you're sitting here listening, we're going to see the text today is about a false gospel. Could you fall for a false gospel? Are you susceptible? Look at God's word with me. Galatians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 6 through 9. This is what God's word says. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In verse 6. Paul is astonished because the Galatians were forsaking the gospel. And we can summarize this heartache with the Galatians as turning to a different gospel. If we're summarizing what's happening in verse 6, he's recognizing that they're turning to a different gospel. It says it. We're just taking what verse 6 says. That they're turning to a different gospel. When we talk about a false gospel or a false teaching today, and we're going to talk about it a lot, the thrust of the, the text here. If we're talking about that we want to define what it is. So this is important. If you're, if you're listening, listen here. If you miss this, the rest of the text is going to feel a little bit convoluted. If you're not sure what we're talking about with false gospel or false teachings, all right? So this is the gospel. We're going to talk about just really briefly. What is the gospel? And I think I've got a, a short definition for you. That's helpful. This is what the gospel is. The gospel is this Jesus delivered us from death by giving himself for our sins. Now, if you look back in Galatians, that, that whole definition right there is just in the couple of verses before Galatians 6. That's the definition that Paul is giving of what the gospel is. In his introduction, that, look, we've been, we've been saved by Jesus. He came to save us from this evil age, and he did that by giving himself for us. So the gospel is the good news of Jesus. I've heard people say the gospel can be defined just as God. God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. It's all of who he is that he's given himself for us, that he is beautiful, that he is the treasure. One pastor that I, that I really like says it this way, that the gospel is Jesus in my place. Just that simple. The gospel is Jesus in my place. And that's what this definition gets at here. That's what Paul's definition in Galatians gets at here, is that death was deserved because God is good and we rebelled. So what, what is Jesus delivering us from? What is the evil age? He's delivering us from death that's good news. It's good news that your God is good. It's good news that he is just and righteous and will carry that out to the end. And it's great news that in the consequence, he made a way for you to be delivered from it. Jesus took our place on the cross. He gave himself for us. And in giving himself, he also rose again. He defeated death. He didn't just give himself to death. he, He defeated it. And we look at that and we say, wow, God, you can do everything. And you chose to redeem us like this. How good is your love? How deep is your love? How, how surpa- unsurpassable is your love? How deep and wide? So this is the gospel, that Jesus did everything for your salvation and that nothing else is needed. Jesus alone. So biblically then, a false, a false gospel is a message of salvation that adds or subtracts from Jesus alone. So if Jesus is the gospel, if him doing everything needed for our salvation is the gospel, then a false gospel is anything in addition or anything subtracting from that. So a false gospel is just purely a rejection of Jesus. That's how God views it. It's a rejection of Jesus and a departure from the faith that saves you might be saying, Well, I still have faith in Jesus. I just think that we need this too. That I've got to be I've got to I've got to do my part. <laughs> that God helps those who helps themselves. Right? I've, I've got to do my part. Well, that's a rejection of Jesus. Jesus says, No, there there is no part for you. It's it's by faith that you're saved. It's through faith. It's all Jesus. So a false gospel is a rejection of Jesus. It's a rejection of who he is and who he desires us to know him as the Galatians were turning to this different gospel, to a different gospel, which any other gospel in Christ alone is false, as Paul makes clear. They were abandoning the faith. N- Notice what should astonish us about this, though, that they were turning. The thing that astonishes Paul, so then should astonish us, it was the speed of their desertion. Says, I- I'm astonished that you're deserting so quickly. But Paul doesn't really seem surprised that there was that turn from the faith. I mean, sin is attractive. Sin is compelling and Satan is cunning and false teachers are convincing. Look at what Paul says to Timothy about people leaving the faith. This is in first Timothy, a letter Paul wrote to first Timothy. If you want to turn there, it's first Timothy four. And he's writing a letter to this young pastor He says this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He says, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That context is that there were people adding, You've got to do these things to be saved, you've got to follow these rules, these traditions, these laws. And that's exactly what was happening in Galatia. Is that there were people who had been a part of the Jewish faith and tradition. And they were saying, well, that seems too easy. We've held these traditions and laws for so long. It can't just be that we give those up for freedom. Paul says, yes, it's all about Jesus. It's not about the law. But here, God's not surprised. And Paul's not surprised that people choose to be their own little G God. That's the decision being made. The decision is that this person who who is turning from the gospel in Galatia is choosing to be their own God. And so he's not surprised that we try to build our own paths to heaven like the ancients did at the Tower of Babel. It's not new for God that people reject him. His his first two did. They chose their own way. They chose their own path. When we look at the the idea of deserters here, who, who were the original deserters? Adam and Eve hid. They ran away and hid. It was desertion. So God's not surprised. Paul's not surprised. But what Paul is surprised about is how quickly they're leaving. To some degree, it feels like Paul's taking this a little bit personal. Paul labored over this church. He went and he invested his time. He invested his his effort. He invested his prayers. He invested his heart. He invested years of his life to their salvation and growth as Christians. It's like a few new guys come in and say, Hey, we've got some new ideas. And they're like, Okay, Paul was wrong. Let's trust these new guys who have been here for a couple of weeks. Paul's like, No, no, no. Wait, hold up. Don't listen to them. And Paul's shocked. He's like, What's going on? How do you so quickly desert the message of salvation that came from Christ himself? If you go back in the first part of Galatians, those first five verses, Paul's setting up that he's a messenger from God. That gospel that he brought to the Galatians was not his message or a message from any other man, but it was a message from God himself. And he's affirming that here in verse six, that this is the gospel is from Christ himself to you. And you are deserting Christ himself to follow after these men. What are you doing? Paul's like, you had it. You had the thing. You had the best thing. And yet, Paul's tone here, maybe mine doesn't, maybe mine doesn't reflect like it. But Paul's tone here doesn't feel like anger. It does feel like disappointment. It does feel like, what are you doing? What? It's surpri- I'm surprised at you. We're gonna see his anger is reserved for the teachers who led them astray. Our tendency at this point is to think of ourselves and feel some pride, right? Good thing we're not like those Galatians. I'm gonna keep saying this. Good thing we're not like those Galatians. But we are like the Galatians. We we are human, we we are flesh and blood, and we are prone to wonder. I am prone to wonder. You are prone to wonder. And we need to admit this to ourselves. There's never a time in this life when we'll be immune from sin and its effects. Part of what we aim for in following after Christ, part of the beauty of what Christ does in us is draws us to himself so beautifully that we see him as such a wonderful treasure that the things of this life start to be dull. They lose their luster. But there's never a time in this life where sin completely loses its luster. A little bit of it shine still hangs on, It's when we get to be with God forever, when we're perfected with him, that that we see him for who he truly is and sin for what it truly is, absolutely. But we need to admit to ourselves that we in this life are prone to wonder and to rejecting Christ. These Galatians are an example to us of what is possible when we give in to our wondering. They wandered right into a false gospel. They wandered right into a rejection of grace and faith that Jesus and his work on the cross is the only way they traded truth for a perversion here's an important lesson from this text is that faithfulness requires determination and I want to be careful with this i feel like the word determination <laughs> determination can fill some works based That faithfulness requires, but in obedience. So we're saved to obedience. Our obedience doesn't save us, but our salvation brings us to obedience. And in our obedience, we love being faithful to our sweet King Jesus, who loves us and who we love. And so we want to be faithful to Him. We want to enjoy Him and fellowship with Him. And one of the ways that we can guard against wandering into sin and false gospels is to take up an attitude of determination. Maybe that's not a word we use enough, just generally. But this attitude of determination that we won't be stopped, that we want to be determined to devote ourselves to the Bible and prayer and to fellowship with other believers, and fellowship most of all through all those things with Christ. So the call here is don't let your faith be accidental. Don't casually be a Christian. Think about if marriage is accidental or casual, that marriage will fail. You don't find healthy marriages that are, that are accidental and casual. Healthy marriages are determined and intentional from the start. Partners in a healthy marriage determine together that they will be husband and wife to each other for the rest of their living days. That's how you, that's how you start. There's no other options. This is who we are. The same is true of your approach to Christ. His call. His call is a call to come and die. Give it all. Surrender everything. Hold nothing back. His call is to lay down your life, deny yourself, and follow Him. That's commitment. That's a call to determination. When we're holding nothing back, when we're determined to be His, We're going to be better equipped to reject false gospels that lead us away from Christ. If you want to enjoy Christ in this life, if you want to dwell with him, to be in his courts, if you want to enjoy him in this life, be determined. Let nothing stand in your way. The Galatians were not determined Paul was astonished. They were casual and were quickly led astray. Look again at verse 6. We're going to read through verse 7 again. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, him being Christ. Christ called you in the grace of Christ, and now you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Christ. So he's recognizing their situation. The, Galat- the Christians in Galatia were troubled by false teachers. You might think of these false teachers as wolves. Wolves in sheep clo- sheep's clothing. They're coming in, pretending to be a part of the church, pretending to be a part of the way, and, and they're, they're saying, no, here, this is a false gospel. So they're troubled by these false teachers. And as I think about verses 6 and 7, I think about how easily we can be led astray. How, how easily do we believe lies and deceit and manipulation? I imagine most of us, with some embarrassment, can all remember a time when we've been duped or bamboozled or swindled or hoodwinked. I was trying to think of, these are good words. I like that genre of word. We can probably all think of those times where it's like, ah, that was a bad deal. That person pull, pulled one over on me. It's, it's easy. That happens so easily for us. And maybe, maybe this is harsh. I think it's because we're somewhat feeble-minded. It's just a, it's a part of who we are. I mean, go read some Shakespeare. I mean, I mean, what, what did Mark Antony say? I mean, they're, they're, they're fickle. The people are fickle. Isn't that true of us? It's just a part of the human condition. And maybe to our shame, but I also think it's not a flaw in our design though. We're intended to be sheep. We're intended to follow a shepherd. We, we belong to a shepherd. Think about that. It's not, it's not bad for us to follow after our shepherd. Now, in this world, there's going to be a lot of false shepherds, a lot of antichrists who are calling for our attention and calling for our allegiance and calling for our devotion. That doesn't mean that us following after Christ or, or following is the flaw. The flaw is that we're giving our devotion to the, wrong, to the wrong shepherd. We belong to a shepherd, a good shepherd. And in the deepest parts of our heart, every one of us, we want to follow after a good shepherd who will take us to green pastures and still waters. Don't we? Don't you? There's so much rest in having good instructions. I think about how many of you middle schoolers in here have gotten a, a project in class and your teacher's like, do this. And you're like, do what? What am I? I don't understand the assignment and the stress and anxiety of not understanding what happens. Just tell, please tell me what to do. To figure it out. So much stress and anxiety. There's so much peace and rest in knowing what we're supposed to do. And being and, and being told, instructed, here, this is the way. That's not a flaw. It's good for us. We have have a king. We have a master. We have a leader who will do that for us. And who doesn't make mistakes. Who doesn't lead us astray. Who leads us rightly. The problem is that we live in a society and in bodies corrupted by sin. So instead of listening to our shepherd, we listen to almost everyone and everything else. Here's what we usually do. Usually... We let the loudest voices lead us, or the most recent voices lead us, or the most near voices, the most nearest proximity. And, and I wonder how many times we are our own greatest false teachers. That who has greater proximity to ourselves than ourselves? <laughs> Who's doing more self-talk more often than I am? Whose voice is louder than the one in my own mind? And how often do we believe the lies of our sinful hearts? We're buying into our own false teaching. We lean on our own understanding. Isn't that what Proverbs 3? Man, stop leaning on your own understanding, your own false teaching. There is true good teaching for you. Lean on on Christ, lean on God. It's our own sin-filled voice that is usually loudest, closest, and most recent. I think about the lies we tell ourselves about God's love for us and his work on our behalf. The false gospels that we tell ourselves sometimes that God can't love me after that, insert recent sin. There's no way that standing here right now, two minutes after I lied, I cheated, I lusted, that God could really love me enough to save me. How do we believe these lies? There's no way that I'm good enough or, or the opposing side of that. There's no way I'm not good enough. When you compare me, I should make it. That's a false gospel. Don't we tell ourselves those aren't we proclaiming these in our own minds? How can I not be a Christian? I'm leading a Bible study how can I not be a Christian? I, I listened to 91.9 the whole month. Just as we need to admit to ourselves that we are prone to wonder, we also need to admit to ourselves that we are prone to believe lies. I'm prone to believe lies. I can, I can admit I'm prone to believe lies, whether those lies originate from within ourselves or whether they come from false teachers around us. We are susceptible to believing lies. And as prevalent as our lies are within ourselves, we live in a time where if you want to hear false teaching, you can find it. It's easy and it is deceptive and it is intertwined and mixed in. And how do I recognize what is the, the weed, and what is the healthy plant when they're so tangled so often? I'm prone to believe lies. I'm susceptible to it. And I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I can tell you that sometimes I feel overwhelmed by it. I hear the two sides, the opposing sides, and I think, that's someone who loves Jesus dearly, isn't it? And the other side, that's someone who loves Jesus dearly, isn't it? where do i how can i fall somewhere how how do i where do i go it can be overwhelming it's not always clear in our moments we get we get blinded by our passions and our competing idols and our mortality and the goodness and reputations of people so how, how do we discern between truth and lies If we're prone to believe lies, how do we discern? What what has God given us to discern? If we know we aren't just liars, but lie believers, what do we do? Here's it as simply as I can say it. And the Bible kind of says this. Get wisdom. Get discernment. Wisdom and discernment are often paired. They're, They're like I don't know if they're brothers or if they're cousins. I mean, they're they're often paired in Scripture. They go together hand in hand. Get wisdom. Get discernment. If we want to faithfully follow after God, we will be discerning. Faithfulness to God, enjoying his presence, dwelling with him. Faithfulness requires discernment. And discernment can be a strange word we don't use a lot. Here's a really simple definition for discernment. It's just knowing truth from error. It's knowing fact from fiction. I'm a discerning person if I can see those two things apart. The Galatians lacked this. They lacked discernment. In church, many of us lack discernment. I'm I'm hesitating because I think there's a really good dating joke here where if you would just listen to the people who are good at discernment you could save yourself a lot of heartache i'm going to i'm going to hold off on that won't make that joke <clears throat> just as the galatians were troubled by false teachers so will we be the question is not whether false teachers will come to you the question is whether you will resist it whether you can resist it whether you can discern false teaching for what it is. So how can we identify false teachers? I want, I want to give you three, two ways and a bonus to identify false teachers. All right. You ready? Here's the first one. Pray. Man, it seems like that's so many of my, my answers here. Because it's such a great gift to us. Church. Prayer is not some small thing that God has done for us. It is this massive, world-changing, transforming gift to us. And yes, you'll probably hear about it every week, and it'll feel like something that I'm telling you you should do every week because, yes, the Christian life. Pray. If you want to know how to identify false teachers, pray. Follow the psalmist's example of asking God for discernment. Psalm 119.66 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge. That word judgment there, your translation might even be discernment. Teach me good discernment and knowledge. For I believe in your commandments. What a good expression of faith. God, my belief, my hope, my joy. What I give myself to is your commandments. I know they're good. So give me good judgment and knowledge. You need to pray for discernment in your life. Don't make it optional. Don't leave that one off your prayer lists. You need to be praying for discernment in your life, for decisions you currently face and for those you can't foresee. What, what decisions in your life do you need God's discernment on? How many of them are you seeking help from men and women, but you haven't sought help from God? I don't know what to do about this. I'm asking 20 people, but I haven't asked God yet. And you know, even if you're in elementary school, you still know this, that there are things that will happen in your future that you don't know how to deal with. Why not pray in advance? God, help me. Give me a discerning heart. Help me to have good judgment and to think like you think about my situations. God, help me be attuned to your will And your spirit as I live my days. Can I pray with you right now? Is that okay? Can we do that? Just break in the sermon. Let's let's pray this. Let's pray this together. Just pray with me. God, give me good judgment and understanding. Like the psalmist says. We know your commandments are good. Give me good judgment and understanding to know what is true and what is not, what what is false and what is true. Help me to know what is good and what is not. Help me resist those who would deceive me. Help me to submit to those who speak truth. I ask for discernment for myself and for this church. So that I as a pastor can remain faithful. So these believers who are Living as evangelists in their lives, who are doing the work of ministry daily, God, so that they will remain faithful. Help them to be discerning, so that they will be laborers in the harvest. God, I pray that there wouldn't be false teachers or lies they tell themselves that would remove them from the work of your great commission. God, give them discernment, give them wisdom, give them understanding. Give them your heart. God, give us discernment so that we can be faithful to you. Our first love. That We want to be faithful to you all of our days because you are the joy of our lives. God, I pray that that is true, that you would be the joy of our lives and that discernment would be a sweet gift to us as we enjoy you more and more in our days. We pray this so in your name. Amen. Pray. Here's your second. How do we identify false teachers? Eat the word. Eat the word. I know that's a strange way to say it. I know it's a strange way to say read your Bible. I think there's a book that came out called that. But eat the word. Find your daily satisfaction and sustenance in God's word. The Bible is sufficient to prepare you to discern between good and evil. You don't have to have... You don't have to have John MacArthur to hold your hand through every difficult topic. Praise God. He's got about every article on earth to hold your hand through it. And it's helpful, but you don't have to have him there. You don't have to have great theologians to hold your hand through it. It's helpful. It's great. Look, you don't need Mark Navy to give you every theological answer. Look to the book. Go to the source. What does the Bible say? What does God say about this? The more you are consistently in it, the easier that will be. The easier that question will be to answer. The more biblically illiterate a congregation is, this is is important. The more biblically illiterate a congregation is, the more likely they will be to fall to false teaching and false gospels. And I pray to God that it's never a shift in my life, church, where you're like, Mark, you're teaching false, false gospels. And if, if that happens, I pray that you kick me out, like carry me out by my pants and send me out the door, like throw me onto the concrete, scrape my face. I don't care. That would be worth it. We'll see Paul actually. Yeah, we'll see. But what we normally see is that it's kind of one by one. It's not wolves don't eat sheep all at once. They pick them off. The more illiterate you are of the Bible, the more you don't know the Bible, the more those false teachers will be likely to pick you off. So eat the word. Digest it. Absorb it. For many of us, we, we don't just rely on other pastors like MacArthur, or your local church pastor, <laughs> instead of the Bible. Here's some other things we rely on for our discernment. We rely on social media. And the whims of social media for our discernment. and Maybe we rely on our friend group's expectations for our discernment. Or maybe we rely on our spouse's approval as a replacement for biblical discernment. But we have an unchanging word from God that sets a standard for truth. Why would we not rely on it? Any false teaching, teaching given life by the world will find its death in the word. It's a little bit of a turn of a phrase there for you, but I think it's helpful. Any false teaching given life by the world. So any, any false teacher that teaching that rises up in the evil age that we're in, that rises up out of our sin, will find its death in the word. No false teaching can stand up underneath the heavy burden of the truth of Scripture. So go to scripture. (laughs) Rely on it. And here's your bonus. Here's your your third thing. Christ-centered community. How how do I be discerning? Well, you pray for it. God, help me to know when there's false teachers. You you, you eat the word. You go to the Bible. You say, God, help me to see in the word how to know what is truth. And then you're encouraged by Christ-centered community. That's what the church, the local church is for. Be grateful for a local church. Paul even says, gets to that in his introduction. We talked about it last week, that he said, look, it's, it's not just me. It's, it's the brothers that are with me here. We're sending this letter to you, Galatia. There's some credibility that goes along the way. There's accountability that goes along the way in Christ-centered community. So these three things are ultimately all about being filled with all the fullness of God. That's what, these are, that's what this is all getting at. How are we filled with all the fullness of God? How do, how do we, how do we uh, increase our faith and enjoy the presence of God in our life, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us? We pray, we study his word, and we fellowship with each other. Go read Ephesians. The more we appeal to the Holy Spirit to lead us, the more he will lead us. And if we are in step with the Spirit, discernment is a natural byproduct. If we're walking in the spirit, he will give discernment. You might even say it's a fruit of the spirit. That discernment comes from his goodness to us, his grace to us. Let's let's look at Galatians 1, 8, and 9 here. He says all this, and then he says, But even if we were an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. And it looks like he's repeating himself. There's a couple of differences in here. See if you can spot them. He says, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We need to take note of how Paul responds to this threat of false gospels. Paul takes it seriously. He doesn't mess around, he doesn't mess around with false gospels hanging out, out there. Paul goes all in here. So here the point take distorted gospels seriously. We need to follow his example of being serious about distorted gospels. Take distorted gospels seriously. Paul isn't just a little bit mad. I mean, he, he's precursing people, which I think is a fun category. He's precursing people. We've talked about Chick fil A has pre blessed sandwiches. I and mean, this is like precursed. It's the opposite. He's precursing people. If someone is preaching a gospel different than the true one, Paul says, let him be accursed. And that word there, really what it what it means, that that accursed, is he's saying, let him be devoted to destruction. That's a kind of heavy phrase there. If someone comes preaching a different gospel, let him be devoted to destruction. Let that person be fully in darkness. Let there be no hint of light in that person who's bringing a false gospel so the truth will be clear. Let the believers in the congregation who hear those false teachers recognize it immediately because they are devoted to destruction. They are cursed. What punishment fits the crime of drawing people away from Jesus? If you want to know how serious Paul is, he, he even puts the angels on notice here. Even if an angel comes with another gospel, he should be cursed. For Paul, there's, there's no one he won't stand up to and curse for the sake of defending the gospel. Paul here. He, he's not saying go tackle him and put him in prison. He's saying leave him up to God. If someone's doing this, put him in God's hands. Let God deal with him. Cur- a cur- let that person be accursed. God handle it. But this is this is for Paul the hill to die on. I mean, here it is. Here's the war to wage. This is it. How many wars do we wage in our congregations, in our churches, and in our communities? And here Paul's like, here's the one, guys. If we're going to be on guard, if we're going to talk about what is the consequence, let him be accursed. Here it is. Let's defend the gospel. So even if I myself turned from the true gospel, I would desire that I would be cursed so that others may be spared. In my right mind now, I would say, better for me to be cursed than for others to miss the good news of Jesus. The heart of this passage is dedicated to the cause of the kingdom. That's that's what Paul, that's what he's thinking here. Is the angels, myself, the apostles, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about the cause of the kingdom. It's about the gospel going forth. It's about Christ being honored. It's about his goodness being recognized. It's about his glory and to the ends of the earth. The desire is God's glory above all. The desire is God's glory even above my own survival. God's glory above even my own reputation. God, be glorified. This is an enthusiastic defense of the one true gospel. It's an all-in, determined, discerning, full-throated defense of what is true. And I ask myself, is this my posture towards false teaching? What, what is my posture towards those claiming Christ and rejecting the, the one true gospel of Jesus alone? What is my posture? Do, do we not struggle to muster this courage? I mean, I do. I struggle to think as strongly as Paul Paul does here, and I think it's because I'm prone to apathy. I'm prone to apathy. Maybe more than cowardice or fear of confrontation, I struggle with deciding what is worth fighting for and who is worth fighting. We live in a culture that is odd. I I think on one hand, we celebrate passivity and apathy isn't it? I mean, it's like, we celebrate the guys who don't have to do anything and make their money. <laughs> it's like That's great. We celebrate passivity and apathy. On the other hand, we also celebrate conflict. That's, that's what money and media is made on, this conflict. We celebrate it. It's a strange contradiction in our culture. And it really incentivizes a kind of lifestyle and belief system that feels awkward, that we don't know maybe maybe that's even more confusing even leads more to apathy we don't we don't know we're confused so we ground ourselves in scripture our culture oftentimes creates such a chaos that the message that rings through is nothing matters nothing matters how do we choose what matters out of all of this no, nothing matters let everybody do what they want there's no meaning Everything is shifting sand. But the church stands in stark opposition to this meaningless world. Do you see the church as a a light on the hill? Do you see it as this shining city? What does that mean for the church to, to shine bright in dark culture? It means that we stand here saying, Christ is it. What you say is only shifting sand and only meaningless. No, we have the sure foundation. We have the meaning. We have the purpose. We don't, we're not apathetic towards life. We're, we're not, we're not wandering around searching. We have found it. Here is the treasure. Here is the goal. Here is the finish line. He is it. Here's what this is for. That is strange in our culture. Our culture aims to pick up the baskets and put it over the lights. Say, no, 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 no. We're for the meaninglessness. Stop. But the harvest is ready. What What does that mean for us? What does it mean if, 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 if we feel quenched at every turn by, by the people around us, by those who are far from Christ saying, no, 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 we'll mock you for that position. No, we'll ostracize you for that position. We'll, we'll let you maintain that position and we'll come alongside of you, but we'll add to it. What, is it. what does it mean for us? That the harvest is plentiful. It means that we keep persevering. He said, We keep going. Who cares about what you've put in our way? God has told us that the harvest is plentiful, and I'm going to meet the harvest. I will be a laborer. I will ask for others. God, send more and use me. Let me too. Put me at it, God. Let's not be apathetic, let's be determined. The gospel of Jesus Christ and his glory provides us with a reason for drive and passion. Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you go to school? Why do you go to work? Why do you love your family? Why do you play with your kids? Why do you invest in your wife? Why do you, why are you here? What are you doing? It's Sunday morning. The Panthers are about to play. Why are you here? What are you doing? This is not the, This is not the easiest path to be on. The gospel of Jesus Christ and his glory gives us purpose and meaning and everything else flows out of it. So yes, God, I'll give you my Sunday mornings. Yes, God, I'll give you a night in my week. Yes, God, I'll give you these times of discipleship with some other people, but it's it's deeper than that too, isn't it? God, I'll, I'll give you my time before bed. God, I'll give you my work day. God, I'll give you my drive to work and to the grocery store. God, I'll, I'll give you my grocery store shopping trip because you're the meaning, you're the purpose. You've been made in the image of God. You've been made to be with him, to fellowship with him. He desires your fellowship You've been made in his image, and your life has worth. Your life has worth. You may hear that outside of the the church, outside of the community of believers. But what does that mean? Here, we believe eternally you have worth. It's not an empty phrase we're saying. It is full of meaning and hope and joy and goodness you have worth. So the despair you've been filling that you don't have purpose, that your life isn't worth living. Those are lies straight from Satan. He doesn't want you to be in the harvest. He doesn't want you to be a light in the hill. Jesus made you for good. He made you for good. He says, I'm, I, You were made for good works. And He made you to treasure Him. And He made you to be His treasure. You feel the sweetness of being someone's treasure? Not someone's treasure, of being the Lord Jesus Christ's treasure. And He is yours. We don't settle for second place treasures. We don't settle for lesser things. We have the great treasure. So whatever apathy you feel towards the gospel, both in relationship to your own salvation, it was a long time ago. I, I don't know. It's not like it was. I don't, I don't, know. I don't know how to feel towards it. Whatever apathy you feel is in your own salvation and whatever apathy you feel towards sharing it with others, reject it like the devil. Reject your apathy like the devil because it is from the devil. It is not from God. God calls you to a passionate pursuit. Instead, embrace the white-hot pursuit of Jesus because he is holy, holy, holy forever and ever. And he is deserving of praise. He is intimately near you. He is both the creator and sustainer of the universe. Consider that at this moment, he is holding everything together. And still the same time he is the gentle savior who knows every hair on your head and who came as a man to suffer in your place so that you could be with him so that you could enjoy him eternally and if an angel or a friend should preach a false gospel one that distorts that type of love and work of jesus A gospel that bends and twists his nature and character to fit what is comfortable for us. A false gospel that could trick and deceive men and women away from the perfect salvation of Christ alone. How should we meet such an offense? If an angel or friend, or if our own selves, how should we meet such an offense? With a passion that overflows from our innermost being. Not softly, but with great fervor and zeal. We're not apathetic towards the perversion of the gospel, nor to men and women going to hell. We can't sit idly by for either one. We can't sit in our chairs and say, that is just too bad. I hate that's happening. Let's be stirred to consequence and action in our lives. But be discerning. Not every theological or pragmatic disagreement is a false gospel. That's really important. That's getting one line here with you guys today. That's really important. Not every dispute is a false gospel. So be discerning. And not every fool requires a response. So be discerning. Paul looked at the Galatians and saw in verses 8 and 9. This is what he said. We brought you this gospel and you received it. You received it. Now he's having to defend it. Faithfulness requires this defense. In 1 Peter, the apostle Paul makes this explicit. Here's what he tells the church. He tells the church to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. He wasn't saying that they had to know every answer to every question He wanted them to know the gospel. He commanded them to know and give defense for the gospel, for the hope that was in them. To be able to give a defense for what they believe about their salvation. How can you be saved? So here's a question for you. Can you share the gospel? Could you share the gospel right now? If you go to lunch today at Moe's, And every table is taken, and you sit down next to a couple of strangers. And they said, oh, you went to church. I've been interested in church. I've been thinking about following Jesus, but I just don't know how. Are you ready to have that conversation? Could you you tell someone else about the hope you have and how you have it, why you have it? Can you share the gospel? Can you defend the true gospel of Jesus Christ? How would you tell someone they can be saved? It's a really important question as you consider whether you're susceptible to false gospels. Do you know this one? <laughs> Do you know the true gospel? Can you could you compare them? Could you say no, one is this is wrong? But bigger than that, are you on, are you a disciple maker? Are you obedient to the call of Christ? Paul's hope in this letter is that those who have been misled would turn back to Christ. It's why his accursing is specifically directed to the false teachers. His anger is not directed at those who have turned away. His anger is directed at those who have caused the turning. I think for us in this, I want to be careful that you're not hearing me say we should just start being angry people everywhere. That's not what I'm saying at all. Peace and gentleness and love. That We should be marked with the fruit of the Spirit in everything we do. But let's be passionate about what matters most to us. I hope that for you this morning, if you've been led away from Jesus, what was it that changed your mind? What false gospel did you hear? And if I can be so bold, which, which lie did you believe? And this question... Would you turn back to Jesus today? Have you recognized the lies for what they are and seen the sweetness of Jesus for who he is? If you're interested in that, I'm going to be at the back. I'd love to talk to you. There's a lot of Christians in this room. <laughs> and they would love to talk to you. Grab a neighbor. Grab someone's hand. Tell them, I, I want to follow Christ. And I'd say this to you Christians. Stand firm. Rebuke the false teacher with wisdom and discernment and cling to the cross. Hold tight. Have some white knuckles as you hold so tight and be obedient to your king. Let me pray for you. God, what grace... (laughs) that we've been redeemed and that we've been shown the truth. God, you could have kept the truth hidden from us. We would have passed our days in darkness. We would have suffered the consequence of our sin and it would have been just. That's what we would choose on our own. But God, I stand here today grateful that in your kindness and your goodness and your grace that you've revealed the gospel to us through your word. God, thank you. I pray that for the believers in this room, there would be a renewed sense of purpose and hope and love and joy because of your gospel. Because you came for us while we were still sinners. You did not leave us in our darkness and our misery and our hopelessness and our meaninglessness. Instead, God, you took us gave us the greatest purpose there ever was in all of the universe. God, I pray for those who are here this morning or listening, watching, that don't know you. God, stir them to repentance. God, show them your goodness. Open their eyes to the truth, God. Help them to see the ugliness of sin. Help them to see... the the self-defeat of being your own God, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the beauty of your majesty, to the wonder of your gospel, and that you would use us in that process. God, let us not be on the sidelines as you see that harvest reached, but God, let us be the laborers. God, bring people to yourself. Save many here in Union County, in Wingate, in Fairview, in Unionville, in Indian Trail, in Marshville. God, all across in Stallings, in Monroe. God, we pray that people would be saved because of your goodness and your love and your gospel. God, we trust you for that. It's not by our goodness. It's not by our goodness that we were saved. It's not by our goodness others will be saved, but it's by you alone. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.